Hi, everybody. This is Robbie Martin. Just wanted to open this episode up with a short disclaimer and trigger warning, if you will. We are going to be discussing some detailed accusations and instances of sexual assault and rape. While doing that, uh, we are trying to maintain our sanity, adding a little levity in the process, some dark humor. And so we understand that this podcast will not be for everybody. So if you are particularly sensitive to discussions about this subject material, we just wanted to warn you beforehand. Thanks. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. How's everybody doing out there? So a couple of years ago, we did an episode about the Me Too movement and major revelations that arose out of that movement. Uh, For people who don't know, Me Too began as a phrase back in 2006 by a black woman named Tarana Burke, but was repopularized by Alyssa Milano in 2017, who kind of took credit for the movement. It exploded into a huge scandal that took down dozens of high-profile men across several powerful industries, mostly entertainment, who previously seemed untouchable. And Robin, looking back on it, I think we can in part thank Trump for the Me Too movement because it really was generated in response to, I think, his victory, him winning the election, because he was so blatantly like a, a rapist, right? A sexual abuser, someone who was disgustingly discriminatory toward women, and yet he still won such a huge percentage of the white female vote. Um, He was accused of sexual assault, rape, inappropriate behavior by dozens and dozens of women, I think over 40, uh, last I looked. Some of these women included his ex-wife and his former business partner. So, you know, these people actually accused him of rape or attempted rape. So this is... um, Uh, groping their genitalia, penetrating their genitalia under tables, planes, or in private rooms. Then, of course, there's the Access Hollywood tape that didn't touch him at all, even though it made Billy Bush get fired from his job. So it must have been pretty triggering and insane for Trump to just be president, you know, with all these notorious accusations against him for sexual assault survivors watching this unfold and just having no accountability. And now, of course, we have President Biden himself accused of sexual assault against Tara Reid, as well as other counts of allegations of inappropriate touching and just super creepy behavior against several women. We've all seen the videos of him with children. Uh, Don't need to belabor that point. But, um, But yeah, I mean, it must have been super triggering to just see... Trump, untouchable Teflon Don, after this the slew of allegations against him, you know, and having all these other people come down. So I think that really helped prompt the Me Too movement and this push for accountability for what they, even though Trump couldn't be touched, it was like all these other people had to be outed. And I think some of the most prominent names to come out of the movement, of course, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey, Charlie Rose, all of these people are just hideous monsters and canceled forever, rightly so, even though you'll see people defend them to the death. I've seen people still say Bill Cosby's innocent. Um, And of course, Kevin Spacey keeps trying to come back with his creepy holiday videos every year. (laughs) Well, the Bill Cosby's innocent thing, I think, is just it's sort of taking on this weird mythic sort of there's a whole almost like subgenre of weird contrarian 
people, like in mm-hmm. the same way there's a Michael Jackson one where it's like mm-hmm. people will actually search for tweets and reply to you saying Michael Jackson's innocent. Like anytime you bring it up, it's 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 odd. Um, but that's a you know multi million dollar estate. It makes sense. They've probably hired you know people who knows what they've done. But um, one interesting thing I just want to mention really quick out of Trump's you know a, a sort of a revelation that came out of the last rape accusation against Trump. Last sexual assault allegation came from a woman. Uh, she was an advice columnist named Jean Carroll, um, and she wrote. I don't remember what magazine she wrote for, but she went to some mall shopping mall with trump or something and they were hanging out and she wanted trump they were like joking around and trump um said he would try on some outfit if she went into the dressing room with him the changing room with him and in the changing room he tried to violently assault her and when he did it and she like tried to deny his advances this to me was just a sort of really revealing thing about Trump's personality. Like this is how much of a narcissist he is. He told her what we're so hot for each other. He told her. (laughs) And I find that sort of a fascinating insight to his narcissistic monstrous psychology where it's like, even as a rapey person trying to sexually assault someone, he can't, he can't just say like, I have the hots for you or like, I want you. He like needs to make it seem like it's mutual which is, I think, a sort of a weird... I don't know if that's something rapists do, um, but I just found that sort of interesting interesting sort of, like, insight into his mindset um, that he would just, like, project onto someone else. Like, what? Everybody thinks it's great. It's almost like a version of that, right. <laughs> but, like, right. sexual. Or like, when, or, like, when some of these women accused him, he would just, like... I, you're, he, he alluded to the fact that they were, like, too ugly to even want to rape. Yeah, 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 Remember yeah. That? Well, this one, I think he... Well, this one in particular, he says he's never met her in her life. Which is an overcompensatory lie because they're photographed together like events. Like when Trump wow. was used to be married, this woman's spouse was there and they were photographed like at the same event. So he's clearly lying. Um, she still kept a dress that she says has DNA evidence on it, not semen, but apparently like saliva or something. And um, oh God. so it would be interesting if this actually went through. I mean, and let's just go back really quick to talk about how like Pizzagate, the whole Roger Stone counterassault against the Clintons, you know, Bill Clinton probably is a rapist. That whole mm. thing was designed to absolve Trump. I mean, Pizzagate yes. largely distracted everyone away from Trump's blatant history of sexual assault and even potential child rape. Um, and child sexual assault, underage women. I mean, he did beauty contests in countries where they didn't have age of consent laws like we do here. So who the fuck knows what Trump's actually been up to? He's been up to some really sleazy shit. And the Epstein thing, come on. The people who say that he's not connected to Epstein or that he helped in the Epstein investigation, dude, that is such a bullshit deflection. He obviously was letting Epstein traffic women in and out of Mar-a-Lago for years and years. Completely. Well, the Gumby for Christ, someone who was just on the podcast, he is one of the best outlets that I've seen cataloging Trump's direct involvement with Epstein. Court documents, uh, plane logs. It's not necessarily Epstein's private jet, but it was other planes that he was on Epstein going back and forth to certain places with Epstein. Of course, the countless photos of him and Ghislaine, Epstein, him saying he likes them young, he's a great guy, him laughing, pointing pointing at the asses of like those Hooters looking women Mm -hmm. at that one party. Um, But Robbie, he kicked him out of Mar-a-Lago 
Trump kicked Epstein out of Mar-a-Lago. It's so interesting, this weird cult of personality around Trump that also are QAnon Pizzagate believers that have completely absolved him, even though the evidence is as plain as day and right in front of your face. It's like, how many photos do you need? How many sexual assault allegations? How many over-sexualizations of not only like young girls, but his own daughter well, yeah. do you need from Trump I mean, to that's- actually lump him in with this? And and that and that type of stuff that he said is just really bizarre and sleazy in and of itself. I mean, Michael Moore did a great job of cataloging all that in Fahrenheit 11.9. It's like one of the most shocking parts of the movie. You almost forget how sleazy Trump was with his own daughter. His wife, Ivana, his ex-wife, mm-hmm. you mentioned the lawsuit, the divorce records. I mean, it's pretty explicit, pretty detailed, pretty believable story in there. And the only defense people have is, well, after their settlement, she recanted it. It's like, well, of course. I mean, that's, <laughs> but like what she describes in there is very believable. Why would someone She says ex-wife, it was rape. Yeah. Why would, I mean, they were together for a long time. You know, it wasn't like, there's just no reason for her to lie about that. Um, so I, I'm completely of that, the belief that he did that, that he actually pulled the chunk of her hair out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he's a monster. Well, and also a lot of these stories are similar, which makes you tend to believe them once they're recurring, you know, the Mm -hmm. grabbing genitalia, uh, grabbing not only people that he knew, but actual strangers on planes, in restaurants, someone was a hot piece of meat. And like he said, he said it explicitly, you grab them by the pussy and they just let you do it. (laughs) So it's like... Do you really have to ask if these are true or not? Like he admitted it himself. You mentioned Michael Jackson. This is something that is so um, crazy too, that people will still defend him, go to their graves defending Michael Jackson Dude, because they're obsessed the with amazing. his legacy. It's it's amazing. I've I've almost ended friendships with people after leaving Neverland. You talked about how there's still a troll army employed by the Jackson estate to go out there and and um, attack and harass anyone who talks about this. I still get trolls, pro-Michael Jackson trolls, randomly, not just on Jackson tweets, not only on the tweet that I tweeted about our Media Roots Radio about it, which I highly recommend people check out. It was an entire episode we did about Michael Jackson, fascinating stuff about Dan Reed's documentary, but also just random stuff that I tweet now. Years later, I'll still get the Jackson trolls after me. It's like I'm on the the radar and um and of course Dan Reed is probably harassed to the point where he is not even going to do a subsequent follow-up documentary because I think he's just he said without that kid coming forward remember the accuser who I guess was settled with Michael Jackson yeah. the one who describes how his penis looks in the um Martin Bashir documentary yeah. he said without him cor- like coming out and corroborating or retelling his story like he doesn't want to go through with it because I guess he's gotten so um, so much shit from Jackson fans and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. And plus, you know, people, of course, accusing Wade, Wade Robson and James Safechuck of just lying and yeah, um, and all of that. It's just so so crazy. Well, but, Dan Reed. I mean, just really quickly, he did yeah. open himself up to, uh, you know, he didn't fact check certain things to to the letter like he should have. There were a couple like about the where the abuse happened and the. Um, and what year and stuff? Yeah, some of the Is timeline of it gave the Jackson estate people an in mm-hmm. to act like he was helping spread lies. Now, I completely believe Wade Robson and the other mm-hmm. guy in that mm-hmm. documentary. 
I just don't, you know, Dan Reed's history of a filmmaker, he's he's made a lot of questionable things. The presentation, their just their testimony is how I see it. Yeah, that that's all you need. And that's all you need. It's completely believable. And yeah, I mean, the guy was one of the most prolific child molesters hiding in plain sight, and he had constructed a, an elaborate myth to make people believe that he loved children. And imagine how many people were paid, how much energy and the resources spent to create this fake PR campaign that he loved children and wanted to help children. I mean, how many people were involved in that? How many like white Hollywood rich mm-hmm, dudes mm-hmm. were involved in running that interference for him? And how many people decided to just look the other way either because they were in denial or because they just knew it was it was just too disturbing. They just chose to look the other way. Of course. So, well, even like the families of the victims, it, they oh, were yeah. so oh, starstruck. They were so starstruck that they actually just let their children sleep in bed. Like, they let go them on be groomed. Them and, yeah, groomed. Over years. I mean, it is... But... Yeah, I mean, Dan Reed aside, it's their testimony that really drives the story home. Dan Reed was just going to follow up about all the other shit that, like, Martin Bashir's documentary yeah. already covered, which is so much also that Oh, my people, God, that alone. watch Leaving Neverland, if you... Dude, there's so much there. Like, no, <laughs> that, that alone... this case open. <laughs> that alone is the... Is is the slam dunk? I mean, right. and Louis Theroux's documentary that he was yep. supposed to get Jack, access to Jackson in is also a slam dunk. I mean, I actually didn't buy even you know for me mm-hmm. personally. I watched the Bashir documentary when I was pretty young. I wasn't convinced. Like I still was in denial about it. And it wasn't until I watched Louis Theroux's documentary and saw a very candid and earnest, totally believable, full description from that Scottish fan of Michael Jackson's who had a phone sex relationship with him when he was like 14 years old. And the guy still obviously was like in love with Michael Jackson. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God, like this is, it just totally flipped my whole paradigm upside down. And just back to Trump really quickly. Mm -hmm. The reason I brought that up earlier is there had to have been so many people who were enabling this and who were willfully ignorant or even just looked in the other direction. So so it's so funny to me that QAnon people or Trump lovers think that Trump was so against pedophilia or child molestation and that he wanted to like root it out that this was something serious for him when he literally put his own son in the crosshairs of the most prolific child molester that we know of in history i mean so to think that donald trump could has some eye for stopping pedophilia he literally let donald trump jr hang out with michael jackson alone for several hours playing nintendo when michael jackson lived in trump tower this is documented, and Don Jr. still brags about it. He thinks it was a great experience. Well, it seems pretty bizarre to me if someone's so concerned about pedophilia to put their own son in a situation like that. I mean, that's like, that's absolutely shocking. Donald Trump had no what motive would he have had for doing that. He was he didn't need money from Michael Jackson. I mean, I don't know. It's it is um, pretty unreal that Trump would put him in that situation. I think Trump just clearly did not give a shit about his kids. Oh yeah, I agree. You know, he just like dropped him like a hot potato. He's like, here, Michael Jackson, take care of Don Jr. all day. Um, Very sad, very sad uh, that he still brags about that. Like the weird thing about Michael Jackson is that he groomed, he did groom an entire nation of little boys, you know, into submission while hiding his crimes in plain sight. Um, there's so much to say about it. God, I almost want to like relive learning all of this because it was just it, it was like learning about 9-11 again. Huh. <laughs> it was like <laughs> like the most earth shattering. One of the most earth shattering moments of my life was like having 
the facade of Michael Jackson just shatter, you know, for it's me so and, disturbing. and learning really who he was and the whole, the whole excuse to of like, Oh, he just loved children. He just, no, he wasn't sexual. It's like, what name, name that disorder, name anyone else in the world who isn't sexual and is just a child forever. He's a child trapped in a man's body. That is not a thing. That is not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like people just say that all the time. It's like, well, what are, what are you talking about? <laughs> I can't believe how many enablers it must have been. I mean, the entire music industry should have like collapsed after that. I mean, to think that like how many people enabled this shit is incredible. I mean, it, I know, it really makes the Bill Cosby situation like seem like minuscule. Like that he could have been running that all himself with just one or two fixers and gotten away with it. I mean, mm. he had definitely had other people silencing those women and stuff, but Michael Jackson's operation was incredible. It almost reminds me of like Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. It's like mm -hmm. the El Poyos Hermanos, like hiding in plain sight, like the big time, biggest time meth dealer in the country, you know, acting like he loves the community and, and loves making chicken. I mean, it really is like, it's that cartoonish. I mean, it's even more cartoonish. He had that. kids on his arm bringing them as his dates around the red carpet. It's so fucking weird, dude. <laughs> and there's other story threads, too, that weren't even covered. I mean, if you collect all the stuff together, you would you would almost be too sick to your stomach to watch the whole thing. I mean, there's stuff that, like, I am just learning about, you know, in the, over the last year, like mm -hmm. Ed Opperman, um, a guy who's put out a lot of good information over the years, private detective, he interviewed somebody who was like a um, a record store guy who like helped monitor mm. like supplies of different releases in record stores. And he was there one day where Michael Jackson did a promo appearance at a record store for his, I think it was for, oh, yeah. I, I don't know oh, yeah. what album. I remember this story. Yeah, I remember it the was story. One of the he, early saw him, he saw him go into a bathroom with a little kid, right? Well, he brought this, he brought a kid like you're saying on his arm, like who was like yeah. holding his hand the whole time. And they kept leaving and mm -hmm. his people... You know, people at the record store were like, oh, where'd Michael go? And his people were like, oh, he'll be back. They, he had like groups of people who would just sort of like buffer people like mm -hmm. trying to figure out where Michael Jackson was. And where Michael Jackson was, was repeatedly going to the bathroom with this child for half hour stretches at a time, repeatedly throughout this record signing promo event that he did. What was happening there? And how did all those people just let him get away with that? Who else could get away with something like that? So bringing someone else's child into the bathroom with you in public. I mean, that's like so brazen. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Well, he, he was so brazen about it. that was the whole thing is that it was the most flagrant, blatant thing of all time. And that's why it was like so unbelievable because it was like, how could he possibly just be doing this yeah. and convincing the world that this wasn't going on somehow. And it's like the cognitive dissonance was so strong that you almost had to convince yourself that it wasn't that because of how egregious it was. Uh, like, for example, him taking James Safechuck to the jewelry store um, to buy him a, an engagement ring, this 10-year-old boy. And while he was there, the news story that came out of it was, oh, my God, Michael Jackson was here and he was wearing a wig. And, oh, my God, it was so crazy. They were all starstruck. It's like, well, what about the fact that he brought a 10-year-old boy to buy a ring for? Like, was that not picked up? You know, it was. And I think when you look at like Elvis, who we're going to talk about, too, um, who I read a lot about it was like that was totally accepted for the era that Elvis was famous in like the fact that all he did was want to date 14 year old girls but this is like so beyond the pale because it's little boys 
10-year-old boys that Michael Jackson was doing this to, and he was the most famous superstar in the entire world. You mentioned Breaking Bad. It would be like as if he was also like a Brad Pitt. <laughs> you know, it was like bragging about um, this shit like on the red carpet. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a lot to wrap your mind around. It really is. But I think it just shows you that nothing is really, well, I was going to say nothing is as it seems, but in that case, it's exactly as it seems. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard, you know, and I understand there's a lot of reactionary attitudes out there, which I can understand to some degree where people are like, you know, we can't weaponize this and just, you know, the, the term believe all women, you know, mm-hmm. is, is sort of become this was this blanket term that followed me too, that mm-hmm. at the time seemed like maybe an, an sort of an important um, concept, but you know, it's people lie, and that's just the reality of life. And something like sexual assault and rape, people have lied about that before, and there have been instances during the Me Too phenomenon where other people have been lumped in with actual rapists and people who have had like multiple accusations about rape or sexual assault for multiple women with people who maybe were a little too pushy or aggressive or were pervs or just did things that, you know, like people didn't care for. Like one example is Aziz Aziz Ansari, who, you know, mm. it's that, that whole, what he was dragged for and, his subsequent apology. It's one thing to be like, Oh yeah, that was like, I, I was a little, maybe too aggressive with her. Like he, I think he first likes made release some statement saying like, Oh yeah, this is like a bad date. It didn't work out or something. And I sort of regret my behavior, but then he later put it into a stand up comedy special. And yeah. when I saw that, I was like, this just seems, you know, it, it is, that is too far. Like why would he debase himself that way? To that extent, when even as if you believe everything the way that she described it, it's not sexual assault, it's not rape, it's not even something that really rises to the occasion enough to write a post about on the internet, in my opinion. It's almost well, yeah, just like a is, violation of his privacy in a weird no, way. No, it was hor- it was horrible, and that I think was the turning point of Me Too. And you mentioned this phrase, believe all women, and this kind of coddling to women in general that I really disagree with, and it's the same kind of thing like... When you say, oh, I just want a woman to be president. Oh, if women were in charge, the world would be such a better place. Well, there's a lot of crazy war criminals who are women. Women are not just inherently truth tellers. Women can also be violent, abusive, manipulative creatures. So I don't like that line of thinking. I think that's a false premise. And Me Too absolutely has been abused by women, especially some young and immature women like the one who you talked about, who outed Aziz Ansari. And this was something that was absolutely abysmal. It was totally muddying the waters because up until then, it it was very horrifying. The predators who were being outed and rightly so, Charlie Rose, like all these other people. And then all of a sudden, Aziz Ansari gets, gets lifted up as the next one in line. And it was the worst story ever. It was just a bad date leading to bad sex wrapped up in the idea that it was sexual assault. And it's like, what a fucking insult to these women who just went through abuse, rape and emotional torture. How dare you liken your experience to these people? It reminds me of when people use the term anti-Semitic to say like QAnon is anti-Semitic or people who believe it. It's like you're almost minimizing what actual anti-Semitism is if you're extending it in such a vague direction. Like 
somebody made a conspiracy chart saying these are dangerous conspiracies and these ones aren't as dangerous, like in rank from most dangerous to least dangerous. And up at the most dangerous category was called the anti-Semitic point of no return and included in that category, guess which one of the conspiracies was listed? Deep state. Deep state and questioning the moon landing. So Abby, if you have any just random casual questions about the moon landing, you have reached the anti-Semitic point of no return. So yeah, it's really harmful for people who actually have been sexually assaulted and raped to have other people trying to turn something like this into a news story. And, you know, even someone who we mutually know, Jordan Cheriton, got sort of wrapped up into the Me Too movement when an accusation was made against him that once the details came out, it sort of seemed similar to the Aziz Ansari thing. It just didn't, it didn't make sense. It just seemed like a bad date, a regretful Mm -hmm. experience. Unfortunately, he was let go of TYT at the same time Michael Tracy was somehow involved. Like, we can't forget how these people actually started off at TYT. Dave Rubin, Michael Tracy. You know, it's like, why why were they employed by TYT? But yeah, it was really sad what happened to Jordan. It was really unfortunate. And he has been pretty open about the fact that it ruined his career and he had to start from scratch. And he loses a lot of access and interviews and donors, frankly, from this stigma that's attached to him forever online that he can't get rid of. But it's that whole cancel culture. And it didn't matter what varying degrees of assault we're talking about or harassment or whatever. It's like every woman who has a story and and cancel the men who they're accusing. And it's like, hold on, there's a lot of degrees here that we should parse through because Harvey Weinstein is not on the same level as, as Louis um, C.K. C.K. No. You know? And... And just just commenting on Louis C.K. really quickly, I mean, I think you really see what happens when people, you know, when aren't they aren't ready to throw an icon under the bus or to really air out dirty laundry on that person. I mean, Louis C.K. was a very interesting case study because he was he was so beloved and so influential mm-hmm. to people. And even to this day, a lot of people will downplay what happened and just act like, um, you know, Sarah just, Silverman. Yeah, which is which is very odd. I mean, just the fact that Sarah Silverman was just like, well, he asked. Yeah. I mean, he asked if he could take his dick out, so isn't that our fault? That we didn't say no? Yeah, and it's you know, weird, too, because weird, her sister strange. actually had a different take on it. She didn't feel the same way as Sarah Silverman. She mm-hmm. was kind of like, yeah, Louis did this to me also, and it was just kind of like, I think the way that she worded it is was kind of like she went on tour with them and he's just like, Hey, so just so you know, every morning I like get naked and jerk off. And if you want to stay here and watch, you can, but if you don't like you have to get out of the room, cause I'm going to do it every time at this time. It's like <laughs> someone who acts, someone who has those kind of, that kind of swagger about themselves. That's not having yeah. a fetish. That's not having a kink. That's being a creep. That's trying to basically uncomfortably push people's boundaries. You have some kind of, of course. you have a problem. Right. No, of course. I mean, most of these people do, you know, and they've been emboldened for so long that they just really did think that they were untouchable gods to a certain extent because men have been getting away with it forever. You know, like the, Me Too was such an interesting moment in time because it really was like the first time ever in history that women, I felt like, had a voice to out 
men doing crazy shit to them. Like every woman has an experience. Every woman, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not sexual assault or rape or attempts of rape, it's catcalling, it's harassment, it's discrimination. I've been sexually harassed multiple times at my job um, from friends taking advantage of me when I was drunk. Like all of these things happen in an abusive relationship, right? Where you feel like you're controlled. All of those things are so commonplace, but you can't ever talk about them. You never felt like you had a voice before. And so Me Too was just such a profound turning point that I was so encouraged by. Um, But like you said, you know, it doesn't, you can't lump everything with a broad brush and generalize all the stories as the same. And I think a perfect example of this is Connor Oberst in 2013. Bright Eyes frontman Connor Oberst was accused of raping a fan when she was just 16 years old, and that story turned out to be completely false. Um, His label dropped him. He sued her for libel, and in the midst of that lawsuit, she actually came forward and admitted she made the entire story up and, in fact, had never even met him at all. She had only seen him perform. But he even comes out and he's he's like, yeah, my life was completely derailed. It was a horrible time where I felt suicidal he was like but also this is like really rare he even made he made the case like don't take my story as somehow something that happens a lot he's like obviously this is like a very rare case of a woman making this up (laughs) Um, and I like that he said that because people will just use these examples of rape allegations that turn out to be false as like oh these don't ever believe women because look this woman lied which is just equally as absurd you know it is yeah and there's also something that Connor Habib brings up a lot. Like he had a different take on Me Too than a lot of other people did. And I found his take interesting and I think it's worthy of noting because not everybody experiences sexual assault trauma and rape trauma the same way. Some people, it sort of takes them, you know, they never sort of move past the trauma. It sort of defines their whole life. Other people uh, have, you know, earnestly expressed that it wasn't a huge, it didn't play a significant role in terms of like their life trajectory. Um, and they've, mm-hmm. people deal with trauma in different ways. You know, there's definitely people who will express this day. Yeah. Like I was molested when I was a child, but you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like I've sort of moved past it. And I think in certain circumstances, maybe those people are, maybe some of those people are in den- denial, but other times I think it's, it's not the same for everybody. So to think that for everybody, it has this profound, you know, mm-hmm. huge impact mm-hmm. um, where it sort of defines the way they see the rest of their life is not necessarily true. It's different for everybody. So I think we just need to get sort of out of that woke, sort of mm-hmm. oversimplified mm-hmm. paradigm where it's like automatically believe all women, you know, these rules where it's sort of like everybody who's sexually assaulted is like traumatized for life. They have PTSD. These sort of inherent beliefs i just think we need to question those um and in general i mean i think you can sort of just logically gauge you know if someone has multiple accusations against them mm-hmm. and they start piling up the chances are much higher that those are that that's true a single accusation you got to look deeper into it you have to look more into the details and and sort of make up your own mind you know depending on what the evidence is or witnesses say um, but I think when and someone's accused by multiple women over time that don't know each other, you get really have to like wonder why are you so why is this so uncomfortable for you to accept? Like this doesn't it's not a conspiracy, you know? 
Well, it's, it's hard because unlike other crimes, you can't really accumulate evidence that it happened other than the victim testimony. So it is often impossible to prove that a rape or sexual assault occurred unless you sustain some sort of violent in- injury or something like that. So, or like text messages or some sort of explicit admission. And so it is hard. And I, and obviously we live in a patriarchal society that it is kind of the knee jerk default reaction where, well, sure, you're innocent until proven guilty. Like, let's see the evidence to prove that this man is really guilty of what he's being accused of. And that is oftentimes extremely hard to do. A lot of men specifically will just say like, and I don't know if maybe they can sympathize, (laughs) maybe if there's like a current where men, the men that I'm talking about that I have seen do this um, firsthand, it's like, why are you just immediately so defensive of someone like Marilyn Manson? It seems like there are specific people who will just be like, no, like this is so fucked up trial by Twitter. Um, how dare you like let the man have his day in court. And it's just like, what evidence do you want to be brought forward? Like these women were raped, you know, some uh, over a decade ago. Um, what exactly would convince you if this has not convinced you yet? Like, I don't know what will. And so there is that mentality as well. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a gradient too. There's a lot of very aggressive men out there who, you know, are rapey in their way that they approach sex with women. And I feel like there's Mm -hmm. definitely people Mm -hmm. who get in sort of this animalistic sort of like power mindset where they just, that's how they behave with women. A lot of these people, maybe they've had sex with women while they were too little, too drunk to be ethically comfortable with it. You know, some somewhere inside themselves or they have come on a little too strongly and you know someone maybe more submissive just sort of caved to them maybe they mm-hmm. didn't feel super comfortable about it so maybe they're holding on to some guilt themselves that's not that's what it seems quite like. rise rose to the level of actual rape but it's sort of like oh maybe I shouldn't have done that you know and like uh like it's kind of like I think a lot of guys out there have done things like that and they're just carrying that so yeah it's probably where it's coming from just extent. a knee-jerk deflection to something that it seems like they are guilty of themselves. But sure. yeah, I mean, and then on the other hand, you have like the incel community who are just obsessed with the fact that they deserve sex and they deserve hot women and that's, they don't yeah. understand why they can't get it. And so it is, it is a huge problem. And I think that that's driving a lot of uh, some of this dysfunctional behavior online. As we get more and more isolated in our insular bubbles, I fear that that will only exacerbate in some arenas of the internet. But For I mean, sure. I think false rape allegations in general are super, super rare because we're just talking about the entertainment industry, which people felt protected enough and like they had enough of a audience in order to out these people and get the attention. But you know, every industry, every level of society has the same dynamics and power structures and women who are working at restaurants. I, I can't tell you how many experiences that I've had with my boss at my old restaurant. You know, every woman that I know um, in their jobs has experienced this and they won't have the audience coming forward and outing their bosses or their coworkers or their partners, you know. So it's it's important to also know that, you know, that this is going on across the board. It's just that we only hear about the famous people because that's the society we live in. But I think when you're looking at like rape allegations in general, quick statistics is that, um, you know, women don't report rape because of the rare cases of actual justice for predators and rapists. 
you just just Google rape kits and you'll see like hundreds of thousands of rape kits that remain untested at every police department, probably collectively, but like every police department probably has hundreds and hundreds yeah. which are covering up serial rapists in the community because it costs too much money to test them and cops don't care. They either have the tendency to be rapey, they, you know, we can get into that, um, but they also just don't prioritize this it is such a low fucking priority in the criminal justice system it's not even funny well this is um, just a counterpoint mm-hmm. yeah i mean just yeah. talking about police really quickly like i didn't even realize abby until maybe five years ago when i f- first started seeing videos and like cop watch groups talking about this but the idea of in public body cavity searches by police like that that oh exists God. and it's somehow legal in certain states and jurisdictions is insane. And there's video of police doing this. And what they always do is they're like, would you like a female officer? Like they'll ask. And it's just a female officer coming in there and like basically like digitally raping the person for searching them for drugs. Wait, what do you mean digitally raping? Like putting their fingers in oh, oh, like oh, 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 someone's oh, oh, pussy, oh. Right, basically. Right, like, right, right, right. Like, in, like on the side of the road, there's mm-hmm. video, there's like cop dash videos of this happening. It's like, how is that even fucking allowed? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine if there was like a video of like Chinese police doing this to some woman, like how it would like, how many headlines that would dr- generate right. here yeah, yeah. for like think tanks and stuff? <laughs> right. I mean, Jesus Christ. So that's, so I mean, it's just one example crazy. of why they don't take the idea of rape that seriously. They're doing it themselves, basically. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I mean, think about who becomes cops, you know? And yeah. like, for example, my friend who is very vocal about her rape experience, she was, and she's super triggered by cops because the police officer that was the d- detective for her case ended up trying to sexually assault her and actually went to prison himself, which like think about how bad that had to be if he actually was held accountable internally, like in the system. It must've been so fucking bad. There's probably so many victims, but yeah, trying to take advantage of her trauma and then push himself onto her. um, It's, it's harrowing. It's really harrowing to think about. And according to rain, five out of 1000 perpetrators will go to prison for sexual assault and one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape. That's that's a lot, you know? Horrible. That's a lot. Horrifying. I mean, Me Too stuff doesn't come out in this rapid fire way like it did when it first broke in 2017. But every few months, you'll see another slew of allegations come out against someone else thanks to women just feeling more emboldened, you know, in general and being heard and believed in general. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into... Some of them. Oh, I do, I mean, yeah. Name, you know, let's go off. Well, first I'll go just off, say queen. that I watched this extremely cringeworthy, I mean, not shocking, but just cringeworthy as fuck clip from Eric Weinstein, who's now sort of the granddaddy of the intellectual dark web with uh, Barry Weiss. He coined the term. He was going on pontificating on this show about how he believes that Chris D'Elia, Brian Callen, and Joey Diaz three comedians are going down for rape and sexual assault and sort of me too allegations because of a conspiracy to suppress Joe Rogan. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. He believes that they're all getting dragged right now for sexually inappropriate behavior, including rape, 
Brian Callen specifically because of Joe Rogan's increasing threat to the establishment. And because of this, they're going after Joe Rogan's friends. Now, why wouldn't they just go after Joe Rogan? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's like when people get popular and gain more success like Joe Rogan, yeah, there's going to be people on Twitter probably digging through old clips of his show, trying to drag him. People have been trying to do it to Joe Rogan about the trans stuff, which I don't, you know, particularly care for his attitude toward trans people and his obsession with no trans, you know, people in sports and things like that. They've been doing that for years. So why is this some kind of conspiracy now? Because he's on Spotify. I mean, it's like these people obviously did these things. Joey Diaz is on camera saying that he, that he actually demanded blowjobs from female comedians for stage time. That's not an accusation made against him. That's something he admits to on camera. And he's not like joking about it. He's just like almost like a brag, like conquest, sexual conquest style bragging. Brian Callen was directly accused of rape. And, you know, for people who are like, oh, it's, you know, Eric Weinstein to think, say it's a conspiracy against Joe Rogan. Brian Callen's own friends were like sobbing. In re- I mean, like they, they don't even hang out with him anymore. You could see the fractures happening like in the podcast world. Like Brendan Schwab and him used to do a podcast together. That shit's over. Why? And this is multiple rape allegations, correct? Yeah. And why would that yeah. why would that podcast suddenly end? Well, it's because Brian Brandon Schwab probably doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. I mean mm-hmm. it, and Chris D'Elia as well. He's in the same friend circle as these guys. I mean, they obviously believe the allegations that he was trying to prey on seventeen year old girls still in high school over Instagram. I mean, 16. 16. Yeah. Let, well, let's talk. Let's focus on Chris D'Elia really quickly, because I've seen him multiple times. I see him at the uh, Comedy Cellar and, you know, he, he does do a lot of sets with Joe Rogan as well as these other guys. Um, Chris D'Elia always came across as slightly, you know, creepy, I guess is the right word. Uh, but whatever. I never really gave it a second thought. So it's it's not that it's just believable because of how he comes across, obviously, but when all the stories are the same, there are way too many allegations to even uh, lay out right here. Um, I, I can post on the timeline, like a Twitter user actually compiled a thread of like dozens and dozens and dozens. And it's all kind of the same story. It's very young girls, 16 years old, 17 years old, very clearly in high school. You know, they'll have photos of themselves in high school talking about high school on their Instagrams. And they'll just either like a Crystalia photo on his Instagram or write a comment saying cute or something like that. And then he'll immediately DM them and ask for nudes, ask if they could hang out, um, ask for sexual favors over DMs. And then he'll get their phone numbers and be texting them off the hook. And just, again, the same thing, like asking for nudes, asking to fuck them. And so, we don't, what did he actually mm-hmm. do? I mean, is most of this stuff in the realm of him pr- trying to prey on underage girls or are there like direct accusations about him doing that in real life? If I remember correctly, and I didn't brush up on this, but if I remember correctly, there was an, a sex act that a woman claims that she was coerced into giving him a head. Mm. But, but I think that's it because I think most of it is girls who were like too scared because they were like too freaked out, you know, like a lot yeah. of these girls, they probably just were totally starstruck. I mean, if I were in high school and like a 38 year old guy who I really liked, you know, started saying that shit to me, I'd be like, I'd I'd be really freaked out, you know? And I think a lot yeah. of these girls pretty much, that's what happened. It's like, they didn't actually meet up with them because it was like fun and, 
crazy. But then at the end of the day, they were like, wait, like looking back on it years later, they're like, that was abuse, you know, like they they didn't realize it at the time, but all of them got together and basically articulated the same story. I mean, this is when he was like in his late thirties too, you know, and this is, this is what's so disturbing about it and sending WhatsApp, um, or not WhatsApp. Uh, what's the one that disappears? Oh, Snapchat. Snapchat. And you can remember that clip of him where he's like, that's amazing. He's like, wait, don't Snapchats disappear. <laughs> and then he's turns into like was- a ghost. He's like, <laughs> his face just gets like white. He's like, Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing clip. Um, oh, 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 I'm sorry. There are, I completely forgot about this. There are three women, if I'm not mistaken, accusing him of pulling his dick out. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, so exposing himself onto it's just He's just messing around. They're just comedians messing around. Come on. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Louis C.K. It's like, you'll hear a lot of people who say, like, that's what comedians do. They just pull their dicks out. Well, it's like, that's what comedians do. Most comedians don't pull their dicks out in like a room full of people for a laugh and then get hard and then like come in front of them. Like, that's a, that's, that would be a pretty weird thing. Like, I've never heard stories about that. You know, like, oh, we're just joking around. I'm just going to like come in front of you guys right now because it's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's just like such a bizarre deflection away from like what Louis C.K. did. (laughs) But, no, the whole thing is just, it's just sad. Um, it's kind of almost like pathetic in a weird way. I mean, mm-hmm. the Brian Callen thing is probably the most egregious accusation, I think, out of you know this little circle of people. And it kind of reminds me of the way that I see a lot of comedians either ignoring it not, and not wanting to talk about it. It kind of reminds me of, but in a lesser way, um, the Anthony Kumia thing. Because Anthony Kumia has all this huge influence over the comedy scene still he's considered like this sort of you know royalty because of opie and anthony and how funny and influential people think he is and there's like there his own reddit sub forum the opie and anthony sub forum got so like into shit posting and even just turning against the actual host opie and anthony to the point where they managed to dig up like actual evidence that anthony camille was trying to groom someone that he thought was a 14-year-old online. Eee. And he got catfished, though, by a troll, like a 40-year-old man who was pretending to be a 14-year-old. And and Kumia actually wanted to fly her out, this imaginary girl, to his home. And he said that he wanted to, like, kiss her and make out with her and all this stuff. And it's like, I mean, it's just, it's pretty wild. Um, but wow. anyways, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, if he's actually a pedophile or not, but... There's a you know they make you'll hear a lot of comedians even just making jokes about it like it's funny. Well, I mean it's just kind of disturbing to think that this guy who's considered comedy royalty might just be potentially a pedophile, and everyone's just like ah ha 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 like yeah hilarious. you like young women hilarious that's fucking hilarious dude yeah oh, oh my one God, other thing he did joke one other thing he did that that guy who made this documentary beige frequency did an amazing documentary on on Kumia which I recommend people watch. Andalia. Andalia, right? which is hilarious. Yeah. He does great inside baseball, like destroys people's like stand-up comedy specials and stuff. Um, but this one he did on Kumia is hilarious and really dark in parts because he shows how Kumia l- kept liking pictures of a Vine celebrity. Like she was like this mini Vine celebrity, like a 12-year-old girl with braces who would do all these like selfie Vine videos and Anthony Kumia's Vine profile, he liked like 150 videos of hers. Oh my God. Like, I mean, that's a lot. 
That's a okay, lot. Okay, wow. Yeah, um, you, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't no, know what that means, but there's no creepy. excusing away that one. That is that's pretty inexplicable right there. And then you can look at someone like Theo Vaughn, also a comedian in this circle, who joked about Cristalia's quote cult of female fans, and he said, you know, a lot of these people are going to be drinking Kool Aid because they're underage girls. So, oh yeah, it, it's it was a it was an open secret, you know, it was an open secret. Um, and I mentioned before the thread on Twitter. You can look at it. It's it's at at she rates dogs, um, is the person who was collecting that thread. If you want to check out all of the allegations. Um, side note, Robbie, that I forgot to say earlier about Trump. What's funny about Trump tied in with the whole QAnon uh, protection of him claiming that he was fighting child trafficking and stuff. Child sex trafficking prosecutions fell during the Trump administration. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. um, Really, really amazing. It's actually incredible to see how much it fell from the Obama administration on a case by case level. So federal prosecutors bringing criminal charges against individuals for child sex trafficking just dramatically dropped. (laughs) God damn. Isn't that funny? It's it's funny. It's <laughs> not surprising, and it's just gross. Ultimately, because like yeah. this, it just undermines the actual concept. Like if real, if you're really concerned about this concept, you are literally making it harder for people to be able to tell their stories because you're just covering it all in some kind of mythical framing. Mm-hmm. It's and, and it's just that people just don't believe facts. It's like if you just show them this, they'll just be like, no, it's not true. You no, know, it doesn't even matter. And most and here's the sad part. Most real cases, what is usually what is called child sex trafficking usually refers to people who who have to flee broken homes, runaways, like young people who are underage who basically are struggling to survive and turn to sex work. And and that's a disturbing concept, and it happens all the time in this country. But the sad part is, Abby, most QAnoners would sit, see that person as like a broken Satanist or something. Like they wouldn't see right. that person as a, a victim. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they would they would judge that person. So their actual conception of what a child sex trafficking victim is is a mythical thing. It's like a tractor trailer filled with like elementary school age children who are like pure innocent you know, plucked, I don't know. I don't know what their actual imagining nation of it is, but it's not the reality at all is what I'm saying. And they would actually probably look at the people actually, vic, you know, victims of what is considered real child sex trafficking and look down upon those people as broken people. So it's right, just, yeah, no, it's sad. You're right. It's, it's a disconnect there. And going back to someone like Chris D'Elia there, it's a gray area with someone like him as well, because there's nothing really there to criminally like get him on, you know, it's just super predatory, Mm -hmm. crazy behavior to pray and groom 16 and 17 year old girls when you're in your late thirties, you know, did he do anything illegal? I don't know. I, I, it doesn't look like he did, but yeah, very unethical and very creepy shit, you know? And so Again, like a gradient that's important to consider, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he's like a piece of shit. I mean, and it's also like creepy. It's like, what do you call that when someone is just just attracted to, is it a power thing? Like, do you do you just want to like have like a very submissive young person so you can just dominate them? Like, and it's not even like intellectually because he wasn't like trying to start relationships with these girls. It was just like a sexual domination. That's a good you know, question. What, what I is mean, that? 
apparently, I mean, the beige frequency guy thinks he was just like trying to appeal, like he was trying to basically like groom young fans and, and to be fans of his comedy by like act trying to act like a young person and like dress like one and stuff. Like it was like. <laughs> He was like trying to cultivate that fan base, and I don't really even know if he had like a Zoomer fan base. You know, like I don't, I don't know. I think he did. I think he did. That's why so many were interacting with him. Like, if you're into younger women and you're in your 30s, why not? You know, why go yeah. shoot for so young? I, I do think it, it is. It's not pedophilia. There is like another name for it, um, but it's. I mean, it's well. You have to reverse it too, because it's it's always fun to play the game where you can reverse the sexes. Uh-huh. You know, it's so taboo still to think of like a, you know, like a 35-year-old, 40-year-old woman dating like a 19-year-old boy. Um, and it really is akin to being a boy because I remember when I was 18, 19, I was a fucking child. Like I, you're still living with your parents. You know, you just moved out of the house to go to college. You still haven't even like formed your own personality or like become your own person. And that's what's so strange about this whole malleable malleable nature of like someone that young that can be groomed which i think is why they prey on someone at that age specifically so it's easier to um to shape you know and and to put under your control and that's what marilyn manson did that's what people like elvis did and it's just so strange because i think at my age now 36 years old i just can't fathom dating if if i wasn't together with mike and i was like in the dating pool like I wouldn't be, first of all, men in college look like they're like 15 to me. You know, I can't even fathom like being intellectually interested in someone or sexually interested, physically attracted to someone who's like 19, 20, 21 as a man. It's just totally baffling to me. So there is something else there that is not explained by just like, oh, I'm just into, you know young hot women it, it, it that's not what this is we didn't even mention on our previous sort of me too episode we did a couple years ago about jerry seinfeld and how oh my god i was thinking about that earlier dude, today i was like should we add that to the do- <laughs> no we, we we really should just mention it really quickly is how he is probably the only celebrity in modern times to get away with something that crazy and sleazy to actually date a 17-year-old girl while she was still in high school and the claims that they didn't become intimate until she was 18. That is incredible that he's gotten away with that. And then he's like doing videos with Obama. Still revered. Yeah, still revered. Yep. He's fine. Like, I mean, how does that happen? That certain celebrities can get away with that? I mean, and... Well, it was was like during a time where it was still kind of socially acceptable because people were asking Julie Louise Dreyfus about it like in interviews and stuff they were just like what do you, you know it was like a thing it um, was in no, tabloids was. to a certain extent but but everyone played it off and he still was able to get away with it because it was like you know it wasn't now he was the most popular I mean he was like the biggest sitcom guy on television so it's like it does show the amount of clout that if you're mm-hmm. one of the biggest guys you know you, it's hard to take you down. I mean, I guess in the Me Too era, you would think that that would come back to haunt him, and it hasn't at all. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You think that he would be blacklisted. I mean, quickly tell our audience what happened in case they don't know. Oh, he just courted a girl who was still in high school that he claims- In he, a park in New York, like while she was walking home from high school. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they started dating, and they became an actual couple. And- um and he did a similar thing to Michael Jackson, actually, when people would ask him about 
why he was dating someone that young. And he said that he can relate better to people who are that young because he's like immature himself. Oh he would my say. God. Instead that of just saying so like, yeah, bizarre. like, like <laughs> 17 year olds are hot. <laughs> nice impression. That's what he really wanted, but he, you know, he's not going to say that. Holy shit. Yeah. And he just totally, uh, wrote it off. And so did Julie Louise Dreyfus. She's just like, Oh yeah, no, there's nothing weird about it at all. And he would pick her up from her parents' house. I mean, maybe she was hilarious to hang out. I have no idea, but it's like, <laughs> it's just fucking ridiculous, dude. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So let's get into what are some other, what are some of these other headlines that you have here? Did you want Well, I just wanted to, yeah, I mean, give people a little bit of a, an update on what's going on in the world with, you know, we've been talking a lot about some of these celebrities, but I feel like, you know, there's a lot of other people who are being sexually assaulted and raped around the country that, um, you know, should maybe mention some of those, these other things. So, um, in Oklahoma, a, uh, a cop who was a violent rapist led a victim, uh, to a desolate park and strangled her and raped her to the point where she thought she was going to die. And, uh, Holy shit. she later reported this. Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, and like Very a lot dark. of these incidents and a lot of rape reports, she was too scared to report it um, for a long time because she was worried the cop was actually going to kill her, and for a good reason. I mean, you know, he obviously thought he can get away with this. This is a really sad story in uh, Louisiana. An uncle who had raped his niece was basically going to be arraigned on charges, and it was all hinging around the testimony of his niece. He concocted a crazy plot to hire two men to murder his niece while he was in jail. Um, and what what happened was there was two other family members at the house at the time when the hitman came to their house, Brittany Cormier and a family friend, Hope Nettleton. Uh, it says on BuzzFeed, they were fatally shot in the attack when what? they were trying to protect the life of a rape victim. So they were basically there, and and what happened was one of them lied to the hitman and said that she was the niece, and the hitman killed her and her friend. So this is just really sad to think that Holy stuff like this happens. Shit. You know, that a, a guy who raped a member of his own family would then try to kill her, and she's, she wasn't killed. She's actually still alive. So his plan didn't even work. He just ended up killing two completely innocent people. You know, I mean, not innocent, but just people oh who God, had nothing dude. to do with it. It is so dark and disturbing. There's another sports star right now who is being accused of rape. Antonio Brown for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He is being accused by his own personal trainer of raping Ooh. her, um, which have a relationship with someone for a long time. It's not just like a random fan making this accusation. So, yeah, that's oh that God. sounds pretty bad. Alt-right darling porn star... Uh, Mercedes Carrera, female adult film actress, former female adult film actress, uh, is finally going to trial for child rape charges. Um, she has uh, uh, she used to be a frequent guest of Mike Cernovich on Infowars with Paul Joseph Watson, with Gavin McGinnis. She was really in tight with the alt right sort of conspiracy community for a bit. 
She was a pizza And she gator. would constantly talk, exactly, she would constantly yeah. talk about Pizzagate. Oh, she was, yeah, she was pushing Pizzagate. And I thought she was pretty hot at the time. I was like, oh, this is like unfortunate that like good looking porn star is like really plugging into the alt-right. They're trying to plug play into that edgelord thing. It actually like made me, it was during the era of like the alt-right, the beginning of Trump, where I was like, damn, this is really like a strong force. They have like a porn mm-hmm. star doing like live sex shows for Gavin McGinnis while like talking about the like pro alt-right shit. I was just like, this is like <laughs> the left is not, have not caught up to this yet. I was like worried. But then this person who was doing live sex shows for Gavin McGinnis on a show turns out to be a child rapist who got arrested along with her partner, I believe for basically raping. I don't know if it was her daughter or his daughter that she was raping, but they were apparently photographing her they had child pornography pretty bad stuff so yeah it's kind of like a really clear example of someone who seemed like this sex positive uh you know person who was just happened to be into pizzagate and who was alt right who's actually a child molester (laughs) i mean that's pretty disturbing so you know we talk about the sort of freudian repressed aspect of some of these q and honors might actually be internally you know maybe they have some of these urges I, i think this is a very clear example of that it didn't get much coverage maybe because she's not you know she, if it was yeah. a man maybe we got more coverage um, but mike cernovich uh being the savvy internet personality that he has deleted every single tweet in which he interacted with her on twitter now if you look back at her side of the conversation it seems like they they had a little thing going actually behind the scenes mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's got kind of steamy just on twitter uh, so that's kind of interesting that my that Mike Cernovich maybe was uh, you know maybe had a little online relationship with this person who is facing child rape charges, kind of fascinating, and also Chris Jenner of the uh, you know infamous um, Kardashian family, um, she seems to be uh, quite horngry herself. Uh, she was just <laughs> sued by her bodyguard. What? Another, like, uh, you know, personal assistant, someone who works closely with these celebrities, of unwanted groping, specifically while driving. She reached over to his dick and just what? started grabbing it, but he's now suing her. Whoa. And that's what's happening. It's so, I don't know. I get Kim Gilfoyle vibes from her. So, I'm not, it's like totally not surprising to hear that. Right. And who knows what Kim Gilfoyle and Don Jr.'s relationship is like, but that sexual harassment lawsuit against her is pretty fucking funny actually and to think what don don jr has like any power in that relationship at all is pretty comical wait what sexual harassment lawsuit against against gilfoy at fox news she was making her female assistants like constantly come into like her uh dressing room and look at her naked and stuff and then she had like a collection of all these different dick pics from men that she fucked on her phone that she would like show around the office to people Holy shit. What a so, psychopath. Yeah. So it's, but it is kind of interesting how like Don Jr. is obviously not. I mean, he's the sub in that he's, relationship for sure. Oh, yeah. Think about it, dude. Oh, God. Yeah, I can't even cucked. imagine him having sex. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Talk about cucked. <laughs> yeah, like, honey, can I mean, you stop seen... showing people your collection of dick pics? <laughs> can you imagine him even like... <laughs> <laughs> because just the way he like stands yeah, yeah. remember that image of him like sitting yeah. or a family portrait i'm trying to think of his dweeb. voice cracking like where he's like yeah, right? like that weird like voice crack thing <laughs> <laughs> honey <laughs> um 
Well, let's get into the biggin. Let's get into the biggin that just broke this last week. Marilyn Manson. Before we get into the story, well, first, let me just say this. Five women initially came out to accuse Marilyn Manson, a.k.a. Brian Hugh Warner. Five women initially came out to accuse him of sexual assault, torture, blackmail, and rape. And then now... At the time of this recording, it's 11 women at least. So let's both talk about our personal experiences um, with Marilyn Manson. Yeah. And then we can get into the the allegations and the range of what the accusations are. This story rang personal to me because I do have a bizarre experience with Marilyn Manson. I guess... It may be unsurprising to a lot of people seeing the persona that he has projected for so long, but because of that persona, similarly to Michael Jackson, I assumed that it was like the opposite. I assumed that he was just like an innocent, um, gentle, kind, intellectual guy because of how vilified he was by the religious right. You know, it all stems back to anyone who was alive during the first big school mass shooting, the Columbine shooting, and how Marilyn Manson was blamed for that. He was accused of all kinds of crazy shit. And then so, of course, he was interviewed in Michael Moore's documentary, Bowling for Columbine. He came across as a very cool dude, very chill, very, very smart. And he's done several interviews on everywhere from Bill O'Reilly to a lot of other um, talk shows and stuff where he comes across very funny, very candid, very like down to earth, you know, and very he's like got a, shy. He's even. got a charisma. I mean, he's he mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, I, I agree with that. So my own experience with him goes back to my experience with um, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins is that as I was closing out breaking the set in Washington, D.C., Billy Corgan reached out to me. And he proposed that I, he said, I really, really like what you're doing. He was like, I'm about to go on tour with Marilyn Manson and I would love for you to come, come on tour with us and do what though? Like that, that was the big question. What am I actually doing on tour? There was no defined role for me. And I followed up multiple times. We had a couple conversations where it was just put out there, come on tour, you'll figure it out as you go, right? You can either interview people online, you can do something on stage, you can do whatever. We'll figure it out. It'll be creative. Holy fuck, did I dodge a bullet there, Robbie? Um, I was really, really <laughs> contemplating going because, I mean, it was well, such a, a crazy wild sounding offer, opportunity. Right? I mean, but no, <laughs> as you're talking about it, it's like, it's scarily vague. I mean, it's like right. going on a tour of any kind is really intense, especially right. if you're not like part of the main crew. You're just there sort of along for the ride. It's like, what what did they want you to just party with them every night? Like what right. they actually wanting you there for? I mean, it is it's it's kind of eerie, to be honest, even though it sounded very exciting and it sounded like a once in a lifetime thing. At the end of the day, I declined and haven't really spoken to Billy since, but holy shit, learning now what I know about Marilyn Manson, I can't even fathom what I would have experienced on tour. Um, Billy seemed pretty chill, but Marilyn seems like a complete fucking monster. You didn't meet Marilyn Manson, right? No, I didn't meet him. So there was never even even any talk about meeting him during these discussions you had with Billy. That's really odd. Yeah, but Marilyn knew that 
that it was offered to me and of was course. like down with it. Yeah. But that's just so yeah. weird that he wouldn't be part of the process at all. It's like, he's the right. scary one. It's like Billy Corgan right. would be the one you wouldn't, you would be like, okay, yeah. Like if Marilyn, if I'm already agreeing to go on tour with Marilyn Manson, I can, I can handle Billy Corgan, you know? So, so yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? Holy shit, man. So my only experience with Marilyn Manson, it was just from like a, sort of egotistical brag, you know, music uh, nerd perspective is that I actually saw Marilyn Manson perform as the opening act, the very opener opening band f uh, for Nine Inch Nails on the Downward Spiral Tour. I think it was 1994, maybe late 1993. I can't remember the exact year, but it was right after Marilyn Manson who released the album Portrait of an American Family, which the album itself is... I will say just from a musicality standpoint, it's a very good, well-produced like rock album for the time. It's not metal. It's not necessarily, it's not even industrial. It's not like thrash. It's almost kind of alternative metal in a weird, it's sort of like trying to, it's skating this weird line. So like I could, I sort of looking back on their first album, like that's a decent album. You know, but that's actually not how Marilyn Manson got famous. That album, which I would argue is really their only great record that can be considered have aspects of greatness, is not one that anybody talks about. It's not even one that's like it's not it's not the one that they're known for at all. None of the songs on it have any like fame, you know, for Marilyn Manson. So I saw them open up for Nine Inch Nails. No idea who they were at the time. Completely unknown band to me. And the Jim Rose Circus was like a circus act freak show that was in between Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Oh, I damn, already, that sounds like a crazy show. It was. And I already knew who they were. Um, and I had sort of like watched videos of them already somehow. So when Marilyn Manson started, I was like, oh, well, you know, it sounded kind of cool. Like it was sort of this dark, you know, sort of minor key goth, you know, hard rock stuff. I was into it. And then in between songs, the lead singer... I, I didn't realize at the time was went by the name Marilyn Manson. I just thought that was the name of the band. The lead singer, who I just thought was this random guy, he gets on the microphone and starts like strutting around the stage in between tracks, you know, while the band is setting up for the next song, doing like racist rants. And I was like 13 years old at the time, or maybe like even 12 and a half. I can't remember. But even at the time, I was like, this seems really like, and, and as soon as he started doing it, the audience would boo, like loudly. It was almost like he was trying to elicit boos and gasps from mm -hmm. the audience. And he was doing it not by, you know, taking his fake dick out, his fake strap on and shoving it in the other band members' mouths like he did later in the stage show. That's when not what elicited gasps from the audience. It was him doing a rant about how, doesn't it make you fucking pissed off, man? You know what fucking pisses me off is those 7-Eleven clerks who can't fucking speak English. <laughs> those fucking what? Habibs over at 7-Eleven. And people are just like, fuck, get this motherfucker off the stage. Like People were like, because it's like what? San Jose. It's the Bay Area. You know, it's not like hyper woke, but people are like, what the fuck is this idiot saying? Like, what is he even? <laughs> and literally for two whole songs, they were the boos were consistently happening throughout the song. That's how mad he made the audience. They didn't get booed off stage, but they definitely like had a short set. It felt like they had shortened their set because of too many of these edgelord, racist, dumb fuck rants he was going on. 
in between the songs. And I just remember that was, it was almost sort of like the show was very pleasant and also intense experience for me. It was the first concert I'd gone to, but I remember thinking that that part was very unpleasant and like uncomfortable. It sort of stuck with me. Like, why did he do that? Like it didn't fit with the, even the vibe of the rest of the set, you know? And it must have been really crazy and jarring because you were quite the edgelord yourself at age well, 13 I mean, or whatever. I, yeah, and I didn't even really, I mean, I, I wasn't probably even back then. Like, I didn't, I didn't even think, I mean, maybe if it was funny, but it wasn't even remotely funny what he, w- what he was trying to say. It was just some weird, angry redneck shit. And I was right, just, right, right. It almost sounded like something that, um, what's the guy that, like, said that Obama should be executed, like, on stage? Jimmy Buffett? Is that, Wait, what? <laughs> that would be insane if Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, said no, that. he did. Serious? What? Yeah, no, it's like that kind of shit. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, it's like how just like a rock star just the like Margaritaville guy, <laughs> the Margaritaville guy. <laughs> I think that's, so. That's pretty crazy, bro. Wait, if, wow. I want to say Warren Buffett, but that's the billionaire. <laughs> Robbie meant to say Ted Nugent. You know, sadly, even after those racist rants, I still like them. The song sort of stuck with me, and I bought Portrait of an American mm-hmm. Family. I'm really digging it. And I sort of learned at the time oh, there's this sort of nexus around Nine Inch Nails called Nothing Records. Trent Reznor seems to be really enamored of Marilyn Manson. It's a band from Florida that he discovered, and he claims that the reason why Marilyn Manson is so impressive to him is because uh, when he was a kid, he got super disappointed when he learned that Alice Cooper was a normal guy off stage. And what he meant Marilyn Manson, what he was so impressed by was that Marilyn Manson was always in character, that that's who he was. What? And that he was like the real deal. So like, that's how Trent Reznor used to sell him to people and promote Marilyn Manson, try to hype him up. Wait, like, that's so weird. Cause that's like the opposite of how other people portray exactly, Marilyn Manson. Exactly. But I remember this very clearly at the time and also thinking it was really cool. Thinking like, oh, how right, cool right, is it right. that a guy you see on stage acting this dark and crazy is that re- is really that person? <laughs> and I bought into it. Um, well, guess what? It was true. <laughs> it was he true. Was right. And he uh, was right. He was right. Um, and he, including the racism, <laughs> but the <laughs> but the part that uh, you know, other than the fact that he's from Florida, which is all already like a garbage bag state. I mean, like the the racism came out in these new allegations you know pretty crazy uh allegations about racism from his accusers along with rape and assault and humiliation and manipulation and all this other stuff yeah well he has an unused canister of zyklon b in his house uh he has three nazi tattoos two hidden swastikas and one ss skull pretty blatantly on his arm cool um and he also coerced one of his girlfriend's the all, the stories are all the same. They're all like young, very, very young, impressionable women who just obviously looked up to him because of his fame and became groomed by him at a very early age. A, a lot of them were like models working abroad that he solicited. One of them living in Thailand, he forced her to collect Nazi memorabilia, even though she was like Jewish and was very embarrassed by it and bring it to him. Um, that alone, I feel like wouldn't be that crazy because it's like yeah he's a he's a shock jock and an edgelord you know but then it then you get to the point where all of them accuse him of constantly saying the n-word constantly um saying anti-semitic shit constantly making fun of black people it was like you know it was pretty blatant that he was like a crazy uh, racist guy as well and let's also just say really quickly just from a music even though i was just 
you know, saying, uh, these people are good and you know, I like this, the music and, you know, Portrait of American Family is good musically speaking. I mean, let's just get this out of the way that Marilyn Manson, um, the band, uh, is pretty talented. They were. I mean, I, I would say that they were a pretty talented band out of the gates. Marilyn Manson, the personality, the guy is not very talented. He's just sort of, you know, it's almost sort of like he's taking what Ogre did and mm-hmm. doing this more artificial it's just sort of a bullshit rock star thing and i think that you know a lot of those bands from the 90s needed someone like that it's not like a trent reznor who he was like the mastermind behind this band even though he would like to think that he is now right did he did he play an instrument in the band i think that he played like accompaniment guitar or maybe a little bit and some of it but i mean for the most part he was just he's just the lead singer he's the he's the face he's the image yeah. for the band I mean, he actually gained popularity. The band first really exploded with the album Smells Like Children, which is odd because the whole sort of concept behind the album is almost like this. It's almost trying to like imply like pedophilia in a lot mm-hmm. of aspects. So yeah, the, the, the album Smells Like Children just has a pedophile you know, sort of theme going through the whole album. There's a song called The Hands of Small Children. Uh, there's Ugh. a song called Kitty Grinder. And there's Ugh. no, just so, just to emphasize, there's no actual pedophile accusations against him. But it's just weird that this was just, he, this is just him trying to be really edgelord. It's like mm-hmm. he's taking the concept of being like an edgelord rock star to the point where it's like, let's like dog whistle pedophilia as like an edgelord <laughs> thing, you know? And there's also a song on it, just speaking of the racism stuff you mentioned, there's a song called Rock and Roll N Word, except it's actually spelled out on the, on the album right. itself. Right. And I don't know what the actual theme of that song is, but that's how he broke through. But, you know, just another example of how really I don't think any of Marilyn Manson's success is due to talent or good music because really how they broke through is the cover song. Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by Annie Lennox uh, was a cover song and that's how they blew up. I think I, I think it's kind of weak and it says something about a band's success when they blow up through a right. cover song. Right. It's sort of like hollow. It's like em- Emperor mm-hmm. Has No Clothes. And can you, I mean, what other Marilyn Manson songs were ever that noteworthy since then? That's I cannot the, think of That's any. sort of the weird thing. You know? I can't. It's kind I mean, of someone pathetic, said something dude. funny. Someone said something funny. They were like, at least we're not losing any, like, giant catalog of music that we can't you know like michael jackson it's like oh yeah there's no real loss here (laughs) yeah and portrait of an american family i mean it's still a legitimately good album even though i probably i had never thrown it on recently and what's funny is marilyn manson is known for being this like industrial band now and like being like electronic and you know high production Mm -hmm. values but they didn't start that way at all that's just Mm -hmm. they they sort of cloned Nine Inch Nails and wanted to be almost like the more edgelordy Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trent Reznor kind of stepped away from the limelight in between Downward Spiral and The Fragile, and Marilyn Manson kind of filled that void. He so they eclipsed Nine Inch Nails to a large degree. So, you know, and sort of that edgelordy things that Trent Reznor did, like recording a Downward Spiral in the Shane, Sharon Tate house and things like that. Marilyn Manson like took it to the next level and just tried to get you know, all this weird attention for doing shit 
Or he tried well, to buy like he, a child skeleton he, at some point. Oh god! Well, he tried to buy the gun that Hitler shot himself with. He this the rumor spread that he had the rib removed so he could give himself fellatio. Um, Which is a hilarious I mean, rumor. I mean, it's obviously fake. right. Because <laughs> I don't think he would ever do anything like that. Interesting. Yeah. Right. I know. Of course. Like not. I would actually like respect him if he did that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like okay, cool. You're actually doing some sort of yeah. body manipulation to be like different. Um, that's beyond just putting a fucking different eye color in, you know, <laughs> and putting pale makeup on. I mean, wasn't he a minister in the Church of Satan too? I mean, yeah, which but was the like church totally, yeah, which is totally just a joke. Yeah, but the Church of Satan's also interesting because they have ties to sort of racism and and neo Nazism as well. Oh, I'm not I mean, surprised. Boyd yeah. Rice, who became the head of the Church of Satan, is like an open white supremacist who used to try to say that all industrial music was the new white music and it was all like secret stealth neo-Nazism, like white supremacy. It was like the first Weird. white music in like a century or something, he would say. Weird. Well, and he also called himself the Antichrist, which is just whatever. Um, but I, like I said before, I was truly convinced he was like this gentle intellectual who just had this bizarre stage gimmick. And it turns out, Robbie, he wasn't putting on an act at all. He really is the grotesque, abusive monster that he appeared to be the whole time. And the evidence was all there when we really lay it out, similarly to Michael Jackson. Um, and what's funny about like him actually having these really edgelordy albums and songs and stuff, it's like you look at Michael Jackson's songs, Smooth Criminal, uh, you know, like, like it, it's kind of spelled out in some of the stuff that he did too, where the guilt was maybe on his shoulders. But Evan Rachel Wood was another one that dated him when she was 19. Um, no, she was 18, actually, and he was 38. They were briefly engaged. According to the New York Times, she finally came out. So apparently she's been speaking publicly for years about being a survivor of sexual and physical violence, but she never named him as Marilyn Manson, Brian Warner. So she finally came out this last week and she said, um, that is who I'm talking about. She said, quote, he started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years. I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission. I am done living in fear of retaliation, slander, or blackmail. I am here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. I stand with the many victims who were, who will no longer be silent, end quote. Um, quote, Later in the article, he cut me off from my close friends and family one by one by exhibiting rage in some form or another when I was in contact with them. He had bouts of extreme jealousy, which would often result in him wrecking our home, cornering me in a room and threatening me. She said she felt terrified for her life and that he broke her down through starvation and sleep deprivation and by threatening to kill her. In one instance, he forced her to kneel in their bedroom, tied up her hands and feet, beat her and shocked her with a device called a violent wand. So actually tortured her with an electronic stick you know, like a, a cattle prod or whatever. And she said that uh, she thought she was going to die multiple times. She never consented to a BDSM relationship. There was no BDSM sex. It was just her getting tortured, raped, and threatened. Uh, there's plenty of blackmail out there of her underage, uh, him forcing her to dress up like Hitler. His current wife apparently even threatened to release these photos of her underage, and she actually filed a police report against his wife now. Very, very disturbing. And she said for years afterwards, she, quote, struggled with depression, addiction, agoraphobia, night terrors, and made two suicide attempts. 
and eventually was diagnosed with long-term post-traumatic stress disorder. So this And she posted story, this on what? Where did she post this? On she I what was weird about it is I couldn't find like a really comprehensive breakdown anywhere. I saw it all on her Instagram. So for several days in a row she was posting like a hundred stories oh, of wow. not just her testimony, but then also she collected I think she you know, collaborated with other victims of Manson and they all came out together uh-huh. to make a bigger splash. So those five women that initially came out, she had all of their stories collected on Instagram. And then so for the next days, she was posting follow-ups and all the updates and more and more stuff that she'd accumulated. It was quite, it was quite dramatic. And I, so far, no one had really compiled it, which is why I compiled it all in this doc, I guess. There's like 13 pages of all the shit that I like <laughs> found and I put it together. I wish I could write the article. That's a definitive takedown of Manson. But yeah, everyone kind of is doing piecemeal um, stuff, but it is really dark and really, really disturbing. And I think it, it hit me so hard, not just because I almost was in a situation that was pretty bad, but it hits me hard because it is so devastating. The allegations are so devastating. Um, like torture, rape, emotional abuse, like starvation, you know, like that, that kind of shit. It almost goes to like the Keith Raniere, Nick Sam Cole, which we don't have time to talk about in this episode, but we really should in a, in a, separate episode but like it's when you force someone into submission to the point where you're like starving them you're counting their calories you're dictating what they can and can't do where they can go who they can talk to you that you really are putting them in a psychological prison and then on top of that um physically abusing them raping them and when you compare all the women's stories what like what we said before in the episode they're all the same they're all the same. Why would these women lie? In fact, they didn't come out because they were so fucking scared of his power and prestige and the blackmail. He had fucking blackmail against all these women. Um, and all of them say the same thing. This woman, Chloe Black, said uh, he beat her. This is what's crazy about her story. So it's the same as Evan. But then she said one night he confessed something to her that was so disturbing and dark and so shocking that she legitimately thought he would kill her after because she was like, there is no way that he is going to let me leave with the secret. What did he say? And so all night, well, she doesn't say. And so all night she said, um, and I hope she does come out with what he did. Um, but she said all night she kept planning her escape route. Cause she was like, the only thing that was keeping her was like someone this famous wouldn't just like kill me in his house like this. But how could he let me leave knowing this? Well, here's a, just to offer just one and a, a counterpoint, and a, the only reason I'm saying this is because I am slightly concerned of the way that some of these allegations are framed because I feel like we need like more detail about I, I and I understand the that this is you know trying to get headlines and it's working and and he is a monster. I mean, like I totally believe all of it, but like I even I saw something about how someone believes that he's killed people's pets. And I feel like when you're saying something that um, extreme, you need to go into specifics. That's a very, I mean, I, I want to hear more about that. Like that's pretty dark if he has done something like that, like killed someone's dog or something out of revenge. I mean, that's serial killer shit. So. Right, right, right. I, and I, and I hope. Yeah. I, like what is this story? Yeah. You, we need to know the details of this for sure. Yeah. I mean, but that's all. But I that, mean, Mm-hmm. that's my only that's my only concern is that he can 
you know, he's rich. He's going to turn, he's, he's going to use a bunch of lawyers and stuff to try to shut these women down. So I just feel like they need to, they need to, they need to flesh out some of these details from at least the story you're telling me so far. So I hope that right, there's no, more. I totally agree. And as I read that woman's testimony, I was like, well, what is it that he told you? Because if you're going to come out with this, you might as well come out with everything. Um, yeah. But everyone else, and I didn't actually see the details of the pet allegation. I couldn't find that, which could explain why is that there wasn't actually details behind it. But yeah. Um, but like everyone else basically has the same story where he made them submit to BDSM type stuff and really violent sexual behavior without them consenting. And so making them, you know, being cut, burned, um, during sex and the torture devices, uh, Phoebe Bridges, a famous musician who just collaborated with Connor Oberst, oddly enough, another musician we just talked about said that she went to his house and he told her she had, he had a rape room in the dungeon. Other people have said this too. another woman who accused Dionward's ninja of sex trafficking and sexual assault said that Ninja was really close with Marilyn Manson and he bragged about that as well, that Marilyn Manson actually said that he had a rape room where he would rape women um, in it. And just the same stuff about the starvation and the control of how they looked and the psychological abuse where they would be groomed and there's this technique called fawning where every time he would abuse them, it would be like hours and hours of emotional manipulation where he would just like convince them that it didn't happen or that they like liked it somehow. You know, these women were like, you know, like 1920 and they were seduced by this very, very famous musician. This was like a lot of this happened in 2010. So this was like at his peak. A lot of the people use the phrase mind control mind control. Um, two other women who only have displayed their first name, Tori and Gabriella, have also accused him of similar things, extremely physically abusive predator. Um, this woman named Gabriella said she was driven to suicide after he deprived her of sleep. A lot of the, a lot of this also is him like incessantly drugging people. So like a lot of the times they didn't even know really what was going on. Did they say what specific? Um, opiates and cocaine and probably heroin. I didn't, I didn't actually see that, but I, of a lot of them just said say anything specific about that. I no, no. Um, but she said she was 22. He was 46. Then he also dated, um, he also dated Stoya and Jenna Jameson and Jenna Jameson in 1997, they had a, a torrid affair apparently. And, but she even says, quote, our relationship was odd. We didn't go out long because I cut it off after he nonchalantly said he fantasized about burning me alive. She told DailyMail.com, she said, once he started speaking to me violently about wanting to burn me alive, I was like, goodbye, Brian. (laughs) And she said the bruises from him biting me weren't fun. But she says he was, quote, tall, girlish, childlike, massively endowed and covered in scars in various stages of healing. And then he said that um, he also wanted to see her fuck prosthetic limbs. So he has kind of, you know, he's obviously responded saying, this is completely untrue. He said, obviously my art and life have been magnets for controversy. These recent claims about me are horrible distortions of reality. My intimate relationships have always been consensual. Um, That is the truth. And I don't know why they're misrepresenting the past. He also has said like, oh, I'm just a flypaper for damaged women. 
But Robbie, when I say the writing was on the wall and that the truth was hiding in plain sight, it really, really was. Because you go back through some of the shit and it's not just like his shocking behavior on stage, you know, carting women around in dog collars and thrusting his dildo like in, you know, people's faces and shit like that. It was like really disturbing stuff that he was doing out in the open and in interviews and in interviews. Um, And I wanted to just read this one interview that was very, very, very disturbing so let me just get there really quick. Is this the one about um, Evan Rachel Wood? Yeah. Yeah. So an absolutely insane interview from 2009 with Spin Magazine, where the interviewer says, it sounds like the period after you and Evan Rachel Wood broke up was pretty tough. What was your lowest point? And he said, my lowest point was Christmas Day 2008. I didn't speak to my family. My walls were covered in scrawlings of the lyrics and cocaine bags nailed. And I did have an experience where I was struggling to deal with being alone and being forsaken and being betrayed by putting your trust in one person and making the mistake of that being the wrong person. I made the mistake of trying to desperately grasp on and to save that and own it. And every time I called her that day, I called her 158 times. I took a razor blade and I cut myself on the face or on my hands. That was intentional. This was a scarification. I wanted to show her the pain she put me through. It was like, I want you to see what physically you have done. And I don't give a shit if people believe it or not. I've got the scars to prove it. Or I didn't want people to ask me every time I did an interview, oh, is this record about your relationship with your ex-girlfriend? But that damage is part of it. And the song, I want to kill you like they do in the movies, is about my fantasies. I have fantasies every day about smashing her skull in with a sledgehammer. And the interviewer is like, wow. And Marilyn Manson says, Merry Christmas. And the interviewer says, um, I don't think you can wrap that up and put it under a tree. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he just sounds like a real immature, show-offy baby edgelord who is there's just really no substance to him. He's a probably a boring person at, at his core. And he just really actually became like life-imitating art, like this phony rock star persona. And this is just not me judging him and saying that he's phony because I don't care for his music or his whole persona, which I think is extremely boring and lame. I mean, this is also confirmed by his collaborators and, and people who knew him and his wife. Um, someone who was a metal worker who was good friends with his current wife. Now her name is Otep Shamaya. She said, and I don't know if she said this on Twitter or I mean, must have said it on Instagram because it's long, but she said, I don't normally discuss personal stuff, but since all this evidence is coming out that he's sexually and physically assaulted a number of women and minors, not to mention being a sexist and a Nazi sympathizer, I've decided to tell you what I know. Lindsay used to call our house in the early hours and I was told she was hysterical because he was on another drug binge, threatening her life, throwing knives at her that stuck in the wall and verbally assaulting her. But he's not the Luciferian evil everyone thinks he is. He's just a violent junkie who chooses to bully and, according to reports, physically and sexually attacks women who he thinks are weaker than he is. I say, may he rot. So this friend of his current wife, Lindsay, um, is essentially confirming here what I'm saying, is that he's not the Luciferian evil. This is a front it's, it's not that his character or his stage persona is the same as he is in real life. It's that he uses this sort of scary, you know, crazy, I'm so crazy, I'm, I'm in all this pain sort of image to cover up for the fact that he's just a boring, 
abusive, vacuous, rich guy junkie who hurts women. He also has an assistant that came out that worked for him for eight months that says he offered her up for sexual favors <clears throat> for his friends. So it's just, it gets dark. It's very disturbing. And two former bandmates have also come out and said, everything that you're hearing about this is true. People who actually were in his band says he's a horrible fucking person. These women are telling the truth. And Abby's specifically talking about a guitarist Marilyn Manson had in their band for only about a year, um, but he was there during sort of a peak time period in 2008 to 2009. His name is Wes Borland. He said about Marilyn Manson, uh, he's not a great guy, and every single thing that people have said about him is fucking true. So relax about the allegations towards the women. Like when people say these women are coming after him right now, fuck off. They're speaking the truth. So that's good. I mean, definitely good to have confirmation from people who have witnessed his abusive behavior firsthand. A guy named Dan Clearly, who's not technically a member of the band, but he was one of uh, Marilyn Manson's assistants. I guess he came out with this a couple of months ago. And I don't know if there was already like rumblings about this happening before Evan Rachel Wood came on Instagram. There must have been. But he kind of had, I mean, he admitted to a lot of this. And he says that he witnessed... Uh, the singer being shockingly abusive and cruel to women around him, and that he, quote, totally broke wood. This assistant of Marilyn Manson seems to have some cognitive dissonance about his experience. He does admit to all this horrible stuff. He says that he would threaten to kill his girlfriend, Lindsay, cut her up, bury her, embarrass her to the world, making her cry and fear him made him feel good. He would remind her that she'd be homeless without him and make fun of her learning disabled family member. And then Dan clearly sort of ends his rant, this personal assistant of Manson saying, I will also say that the reason I stayed quiet is because of a kind thing that he did. On tour in 2007, my stepmom died suddenly. The Manson camp flew me home for a week on their dime and paid me anyways. I will never forget that and sincerely it meant a lot to me. He's a brilliant musician and incredibly smart, but he's also mentally and physically abusive and a drug addict that has the ability to be super kind and emotional. It's hard to wrap your head around. I'm not asking for him to be canceled. Fuck all that cancel stuff. My sole focus is for people not to call these women liars. They're not. So as you can see, this guy is definitely suffering from some form of cognitive dissonance or almost even like Stockholm syndrome. I mean, most manipulators who abuse people have moments of appearing kind and nice and emotional. That's how they manipulate people. It's You're not really able to be a very good manipulator if you're just 100% like unemotional, stoic, ruling with an iron fist 100% of the time. That's not what most of these people are like. You know what so. it's going to take, I think, for, this, for him to really go down is other people mm. in the music scene to go after him. Right. And so far that hasn't right. happened. I'm surprised. I don't I don't know why because they there has to have been a lot of silence around this. I mean, Trent Reznor is going to be included in this. Mm-hmm. He's going to get hit. And was he enabling all this behavior? I mean, you know, he could have, you know, Trent Reznor was almost sort of like a kingmaker. He could have like cut off Marilyn Manson or like turned the spigot down a little bit so that Marilyn Manson wouldn't like turn into like the biggest rock star of like the world for a couple of years. I mean, Marilyn Manson was one of the biggest rock stars in the world, arguably for maybe a couple of years, you know, when they were really hot 
like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. So right. and from what I understand, and this is something that I just read recently, uh, before we right before we started recording actually, is that Trent Reznor was actually asked to talk about Manson very recently after these accusations came out because an unearthed section, a few pages from a chapter of Marilyn Manson's autobiography came out and got unearthed again during this wave of accusations against Marilyn Manson. The, The autobiography is called The Long Hard Road Out of Hell. And it actually was like pretty well reviewed when the book came out, I think, and it's very raunchy and trying to be very edgelordy, of course. Now there's a whole section in the book where Marilyn Manson talks about meeting Trent Reznor. And in this section in the book, and I'm not going to read it on the podcast, it's just quite disgusting and stupid, I think. But essentially Marilyn Manson details what he describes as a sexual assault on two women where he got one of them violently drunk and then videotaped some kind of assault on her when she was unconscious, along with Trent Reznor, I guess at Trent Reznor's home or recording studio at the time, sometime in like 1994. Um, Trent Reznor asked Marilyn Manson to pretend to play guitar in the shoot for his music video of Gave Up. Now, the fact that Marilyn Manson would publish this at all in his own autobiography is pretty disturbing, Um, He goes into a lot of detail about this sexual assault, and he talks about Trent Reznor. He's bashing Trent Reznor along the way for being this softy who has a soft spot for stupid and broken women. Marilyn Manson doesn't, and he's just like this badass who just likes to abuse women but doesn't have a soft spot for them. It's just a really bizarre passage. You know, it goes on for three or four pages in his autobiography. David Lynch, um, unfortunately, wrote the intro to this book. So David Lynch pretty much endorses the book. Now, Trent Reznor actually had to release a statement uh, just a few days before we recorded this podcast. He released it to Pitchfork, um, which is kind of uh, bizarre, responding to this section from Marilyn Manson's autobiography making the rounds again. There's an article in the Daily Mail, actually. Nine Inch Nails frontman Trent Reznor condemns former friend Marilyn Manson years after he, quote, fabricated claims that they sexually assaulted an intoxicated woman together. Now, the actual statement that Trent Reznor wrote, it's like a paragraph. He says, I have been vocal over the years about my dislike of Manson as a person and cut ties with him nearly 25 years ago. As I said at the time, the passage from Manson's memoir is a complete fabrication. I was infuriated and offended back when it came out and remain so today. Now, at the time of recording this podcast, uh, Abby, I was not able to find Trent Reznor's original reaction to this autobiography came, coming out because it came out in the late 90s. I think it came out in 1998. So Trent Reznor here is claiming that he's cut ties with Manson for over 25 years, that he says that the story about them sexually assaulting someone together is complete fabrication, but I also couldn't find any record of Trent Reznor suing Manson, asking him to recant this part of his book. Um, So that's a little spurious to me. If someone wrote about me doing something like this in a book, I would 100% sue them. Seems 
odd that Trent Reznor would just say, it's a complete fabrication. I was infuriated and offended back when it came out and remains so today. I mean, yeah, I would be infuriated and offended too if someone made up a story about me sexually assaulting someone, but I would also say, and I have taken them to court and I am going to sue them for libel. That's an interesting missing piece of this. I'm surprised that that's not here. And that raises question to me about what's going on. This is what Manson claims. Manson actually claims that Reznor sort of reached out to him later in 2017 and they had reconciled and he sent him an email sort of venting about cancel culture and said, this is what, according to Manson, he says, he goes and he said in the email something along the lines of, it really pisses me off that music's not dangerous anymore and it reminds me of how great you were and I was at the time, the era. Reznor does need to talk more about this and I think that the music press at large needs to talk to any one of Manson's collaborators. And once again, the music industry at large enabled all this, obviously. So to reinforce the point I was making earlier that Manson isn't really this dark, you know, satanic guy with like actual occult <laughs> beliefs or anything. Um, Trent Reznor said that uh, in 2009, that Manson is a malicious guy and will step on anybody's face to succeed and cross any line of decency. Seeing him now, drugs and alcohol now rule his life and has become a dopey clown. Now, Manson had different things to say about him in the same interview, sort of saying that it was like a fall from grace. And But this is one of the most interesting parts. So just going back, circling back to what I said here, that Trent Reznor was a kingmaker and he could have turned the spigot down on what Manson became. I mean, Trenizer not just stepped out of, the, out of the limelight after the downward spiral and sort of let Manson step into that role of being this industrial rock star darling. He's also responsible for creating his career. I mean, he produced Portrait of an American Family. He continued to, I think, even help produce his later albums as well, if I'm not mistaken. And this is what Reznor said. He says, things got shitty between us and I'm not blameless. The majority of it, though, was coming from a resentment guy who finally got out from under the master's umbrella and was able to stab him in the back. He used to be the smartest guy in the room. As a fan of his talents, I hope he gets his shit together. Trent Reznor saw himself as the master who had Manson under his umbrella and that Manson eventually stabbed him in the back. Now, I don't know what else happened. Maybe it was just this made-up story about him and Reznor that really upset him. But again, strange that Reznor wouldn't actually sue him for it that I know of. But just one more thing I wanted to mention about this Reznor-Manson relationship and how it fell apart is the song Starfuckers from 2000 does sort of show that Trent Reznor did have a falling out with Manson in the late 90s. Or does it show that? The fragile, you know, Trent Reznor's Nine Inch Nails album, long-awaited double LP after the downward spiral, six-year you know gap in between the two records. Essentially, uh, this song has lyrics that sound like they're talking about people like Marilyn Manson. I'm not going to bore you with the actual lyrics from Starfuckers Incorporated, but there's a scene in the music video for Starfuckers Incorporated where Trent Reznor is in the back of a limo seemingly almost imitating Marilyn Manson's vibe. He looks a little more gothed up 
seems to be kind of trying to play into Marilyn Manson, maybe even a reference to Evan Rachel Wood in there as well, holding a camera and walking around him. And there's a scene in the video where he throws a baseball in a carnival game at a bunch of glass plates that include Fred Durst, just a bunch of pop stars. And in the very middle next to Fred Durst is Marilyn Manson. There's one of these plates. And Trent Reznor, the first plate he shatters is Marilyn Manson in this carnival game. Uh, in the music video for Starfuckers Incorporated. And then also in the video, he throws Marilyn Manson's CD, Mechanical Animals and Smells Like Children, in a toilet. So I don't really know if you can get any more obvious than that, that the music video is a direct reference <laughs> to Marilyn Manson being a piece of shit. But as you get to the very end of the music video, it shows Marilyn Manson is actually the blonde woman in the wig who was filming Trent Reznor the whole time. So I don't know if this is some sort of Andy Kaufman gag or what, but if someone's writing about you and your friend sexually assaulting someone in an autobiography, you should have a lot more to say about that. And you definitely shouldn't still be appearing in music videos with them. And he's been able to make that transition to kind of an actor. You know, I see him in plenty of plenty of things today movies shows well david lynch i wonder what will happen highway which i didn't even remember him Mm -hmm. being in that would you remember him being in lost highway no oh two other quick stories as in 1998 manson and and he brags about this too he put his gun in the mouth of a spin magazine editor and threatened to kill him and his entire family because he had an unflattering magazine cover and the guy filed a lawsuit against him, and he said he hid in Trump Tower um, from the arrest and eventually settled with the guy. But it's like the most insane stuff ever. It's like, really? You're going to like threaten to kill someone because you're just like that narcissistic and insane? You know? And then there was this bizarre Rolling, Rolling Stone interview with him. It's called The Vampire of the Hollywood Hills. It's very, very cringy you know and he just tries to just be so crazy the whole interview but then nothing ends up happening like he promises this guy like this crazy night on the town then he ends up like not doing anything but it's very telling some of the stuff he talks about when he's in the house he's like i keep my house at 65 degrees it's like a meat locker and then he says he claims to only have sex in the dark he says quote i'm really shy despite what you'd imagine And he says he refuses to have naked sex and he has to keep his underwear around his ankles because he's afraid of catching the house on fire and being naked when he flees. He also claims to have to have sex at least five times a day, at least five times a day. It even like corroborates with his current wife, that photographer that uh, Evan Rachel Wood is now filing a police report on. The woman was like trapped in the room and the, the guy who was writing the Rolling Stone article was just like, she's not coming down. Perhaps they're having a bad day. But then like Manson asks her from behind the door he's just like how many times have we fucked like you're icing that pussy right and she's just like yes Marilyn like we've had sex five times it's like very unbelievable (laughs) you know what I mean it's like this doesn't I don't believe this (laughs) well he just (laughs) well I mean even if it's true it's like he's really it's the I think the key takeaway is that really important he wants he wants attention for this stuff yes he's a he's wants he want he likes to brag he likes to sort of talk big about himself but then also sort of put out this simultaneous appearance that he's this twisted guy who's in all this pain 
that mm-hmm. part of it seems like it's fake. Like it, it doesn't, I mean, how much pain could he really be in? I mean, it seems like he pretty much gets whatever he wants, you know, right. even he says just beyond the manipulation, had... people probably yeah. just give him whatever he wants regardless. So, right. Yeah. No, just... I mean, he, and he talks about his pain. He talks about his trauma that his mom had Munchausen by proxy, but actually doesn't say what she made him sick with or whatever. It's like, very. it seems very fake too. I mean, who knows? It could be real to a certain extent, but it's like, yeah, I mean, how much are you really going to victimize yourself to justify abusing and becoming like this horrific abuser? It is very strange. And he's also like very, very good friends with Johnny Depp, which I found interesting because Johnny Depp, I feel like was collateral damage from the Me Too shit to a certain extent because Amber Heard seems completely insane because at first she came out and was like, I I was abused. I was beaten, all this stuff. And then like he came out with tapes that showed her mocking him for not hitting her after she was like repeatedly like uh, hitting him yeah. and physically abusing him. And she also left human feces in his bed. There was definitely, I would say he definitely was crazy too. I mean, just, right. I mean, and she caught, you know, they were probably out of context, but just the video footage alone that she took of him, like cutting himself with the wine bottle, like breaking the wine bottle, then scrawling stuff on the walls and blood and <laughs> I stuff. I mean, it's that. just like baby as <laughs> shit. It's like, dude, I know people who got into like the depths of heroin addiction who like didn't do things that <clears throat> like that's right. stupid, you know, it's just right, like, right, right. why it's just, you're a baby, dude. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is I definitely think that it's uh, more murky than I thought before because now I know that Johnny Depp's like really good friends with Marilyn Manson. They have like matching tattoos. Apparently Manson stayed in Depp's guest house for a certain period of time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And and Manson brags about this. He's like, we understand each other as, as few others can. Like we we just finish each other's sentences. They have, I guess, several it's matching like tattoos. Yeah, suck each other's dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Rape each other's girlfriends. No, just kidding. Uh so yeah, I definitely think Johnny Depp is creepier than I thought before, but I also think Amber Heard is like a nightmare. When I also my I kind of um my appreciation for Mr. Oizo, who's a French musician, electronic musician, but also a, a now a film director. He made the movie Rubber Steak, um he made the movie Wrong Cops. Two of his movies actually star Marilyn Manson. And I remember reading an interview with him years ago where he's like, yeah, man, Marilyn Manson's like one of my favorite people to cast in these movies I'm making because he's just like a total dork and a nice guy in real life. He's like not at all like his persona. And I remember thinking, oh, that's like the opposite of what Trent Reznor used to say about him, you know, that he isn't, he that it's not a character, that he is like that. So, but I mean, it's just kind of weird to think that even like Mr. Oizo is like trying to sell him like that. He mentioned, used to mention right. a lot. That he was just like this big fun dork to hang out right. with on set. He was like a great actor to work with. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he goes into these different modes where he wants to come off that way. Maybe yep. that's part of his charisma. He's a manipulator, obviously. So, and the whole vibe that I got from him was just like he's a rock star. You want him to stop acting like one, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just weird. It's just weird that men in his position have gotten away with this for so long. Like. I want to bring up Elvis really quickly because, and and then we should wrap it up. But um, it is interesting that Elvis isn't remembered for being a serial child predator, you know, and and we're not talking about 19 year old girls. We're talking about 14 year old girls, one of whom he married. Mm -hmm. Maybe he actually married two of them after um, Priscilla. I think he actually married another 14 year old girl. 
but he would constantly have sex with really, really, really young girls, like almost prepubescent girls or just like had just reached puberty. And it's just really interesting that no one really thinks of him as that. He's just kind of this heroic folk figure who's considered a god, right? Um, it's kind of creepy. It is creepy. And I mean, and you know, there's other things you learn about these people over time where you're like, how did this not get included into their general narrative about them? Like who covered that up? Was it just like an obscure fact about them that just sort of got brushed under the rug? And Elvis's case- Yeah, how case, powerful is the music industry to like keep their legend alive without the baggage? In Elvis's case, there definitely had to be some kind of cover up, um, you know, or fixers fixing that situation. I mean, he would- send her off to high school on like pills quaaludes i mean this is what he would do like he he almost treated her like a, some kind of zombie slave and send her on a from a, with a car service driver to high school and bring her back home you know they lived together when she was still going to high school so yeah it's kind of it's just crazy that most more people don't know that about elvis um pretty disturbing stuff american folk hero you know i just learned to of two random uh, sort of famous artists, actually famous painters, you know, uh, who was a famous painter that might have actually indulged in necrophiliac and or cannibalistic activity. Apparently Diego Rivera, um, no. famous painter no. has written in his own autobiography that he indulged in cannibalistic and necrophiliac activity that he no, actually, I don't believe it. See, now I'm going to pull the Michael Jackson card. I nope. don't believe it. He wrote, writes in his own book that he actually ate part of a dead woman in a morgue. He writes he writes out in his own book. I mean, either he was doing that as a performance art in his own book, or he actually did it. Either one, it's a crazy thing to do, that to is say. probably the most disappointing thing I've ever heard in my life. And also, Alex Gray, famous no. psychedelic painter, what? talked about doing a performance art piece where he had sex with a corpse. He, that's what he I says. What? Crazy shit. I mean, just crazy stuff. You're like, what, what? the fuck? Wait, how come I have, how come this is not? I don't know, dude. Check my, you got to check my wait, Twitter feed. Wait, 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 wait. Got to check my <laughs> <What>? Twitter. <laughs> Those are like two of my favorite artists. <laughs> I I have to go now. I'm too, I'm too upset. Okay. I genuinely sorry am too to end upset. Like Jesus sorry, fucking Andy. Christ. I'm going to vet that shit, dude. I'm going to vet that shit, dude. Yeah. Fact check me. I need Fact proof. Fact check your brother. I need proof. <laughs> Unless they're on video doing this, I, w I refuse to believe it. I'm sorry. Oh, man. it's It's been a doozy, Robbie. Going back to that word that we love so much, it has been a fucking doozy. Watch yes, out for that been. first step. It is a doozy. We'll definitely continue this conversation uh, next time, Robbie. I definitely want to get into the Nixium cult how that all happened actually in the wake of Me Too, which is super fascinating. Keith Raniere, The Vow, Seduced. I don't know if anyone's been following that crazy story, but there's so much there. And again, like it's sad that Pizzagate has swallowed up all of the discussion with a lot of people who are obsessed with, um, you know, child trafficking and pedophilia. And like, it's just weird that all these other things are happening and are very real. And it just kind of, get swept under the rug you know because yeah. there's this mass psychosis that has captured the energy and the attention from millions of people into a false 
paradigm. So, and people dog whistle to this now. It's not just people who dog whistle mm-hmm. to QAnon with the child sex trafficking mythos. It's also the right that dog whistles to this premise that the main problem with the prostitution sort of circuit as we know it is like child sex trafficking. Like Right, right, right. They don't talk about like the sort of runaway, you know, victimization that I was discussing earlier where a lot of these people who run away from home who are underage turn to sex work as like a last resort in some cases. That's the actual if you want to talk about child sex trafficking, that's the majority of where it takes place. I mean, don't have any heroes, you know? It's something that I have to keep relearning in life is that you just shouldn't hoist anyone up as a hero or a sacred cow because everyone has really dark demons. And in the Marilyn Manson case, it was kind of like, you should kind of believe your own eyes. It's a disturbing thing, Robbie. But hopefully in this era, people will be more emboldened to to not let these things happen to them, even though we know how prevalent abuse is and manipulation and all of this stuff, like in our friends and families, like we can name several people who are in abusive relationships and stuff. So it's, it's something that is a very, very uh, commonplace thing. And it's just a very disturbing thing. And it's only like in cases that involve famous people that kind of bring that to light. Like you're like, oh my God, this kind of mirrors this yeah. other situation that I know this person's in and stuff. And it's just... It's just all very troubling, you know? Humans just are very fragile and we're very easily manipulated and it's just a very sad reality, you know? And that's why healthy relationships are very important. Communication is very important. And it's important to become aware about just these different levels of abuse and stuff like that and, you know, never be afraid to reach out and speak out. There's communities available for you if you are encountering any of these things or you have friends and family who are encountering any of these things. There are communities out there with resources for you. So, And I'll just leave people with a final piece of advice out there. If you're listening out there and you're in the music press, I encourage you to try to throw a grenade into the music scene about this Marilyn Manson thing and get other musicians talking who collaborated with him, who produced for him, who worked with him, anybody who really was associated with him. I mean, look what happened when Harvey Weinstein went down. It got it sort of come up in terms of every a, a ton of people had to answer for their associations with Harvey Weinstein. Even the actors who worked with them, you know, were eventually being asked on every interview they would do about Weinstein. It became the topic. So if these allegations are as bad as they sound, Music journalists out there, if you're listening, please, I encourage you to ask other musicians who collaborate with them about this stuff. You know, make them, put them on the spot about it. Like, get a conversation going, because the music scene itself hasn't really faced the wrath of the Me Too movement, I don't think. Like, the music industry. And I think it's time for it to. And I don't know if this is going to do it, but, like, Hollywood, I feel like, already got, it, it got a lot of heat over the Harvey Weinstein thing. A lot of dominoes fell. Nothing like that's happened with the music scene, not after Michael Jackson, not after any of the allegations about other musicians who've come out so far. So hopefully this will start another conversation that needs to happen there. And unfortunately, I think part of the issue is that music journalists, unlike these Hollywood or movie journalists or celebrity journalists, they're more you know, let into the tent as part of like the hanging out cool kids so they're like more, they, they have more of a conflict of interest to actually like put musicians on the spot. 
And I feel like, cause that's basically, cause they're not real journalists. Most of them are. And I feel like some of them should be. Well, I guess I'm just going to end it there. Everybody out there listening, we are going to do an episode about Biden and his foreign policy, what signaling we're getting from his administration so far on where the foreign policy is going to go. Our next episode is going to be all about that. So stay tuned for that. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Media Roots Radio. If you liked what you heard on the podcast, please consider donating to Media Roots Radio by becoming a Patreon subscriber for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash Radio. You get access to one bonus episode per month that's exclusive just to our Patreon subscribers. And if you donate a little more, you get access to other things as well. But if you're looking for some resources based on the discussion that we had on today's podcast, the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is available 24 hours a day in the United States, is 1-800-656-4673. There is also the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is at 1-800-799-7233.